What's up, everyone, and welcome to Beer Breakdown, where we dig into the stories behind some of our favorite LA beers with the brewers that brew them. And today, I am joined by none other than Jonathan Porter, owner, brewmaster, Smog City Brewing. Welcome to the show. Thanks, man. Happy to be here, man. This is a kind of a momentous week to uh, be talking to you, just because Smog, you guys at Smog are celebrating nine years this week, right? Yep, yep, nine years ago, I think uh, the 13th or the 18th. We, it's hard to keep it straight because every year, like, the date of the party changes, so. Right. <laughs> Whatever, we're, so we're just going to party all week this week. Yeah, that's that's a good, good idea. I mean, we're in quarantine, so, I mean, might as well live it up for nine years there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying, man. This hits us at an interesting time in life right now, but kind of looking back, Smog City, you know, what many consider one of the OGs of the LA beer scene, and in my opinion, kind of pioneered a lot of the flavors and styles that we see more commonly here in, in LA from LA breweries here today. Back in those days, not as much beer being brewed, and you guys, I feel like pushing the envelope a little bit more in terms of what people were used to and what they were expecting and kind of where you wanted things to go. So definitely want to you know, tip my hat to you for starting yeah. that early when it probably was more challenging to do so. Yeah, you know, I think we uh, we dipped our toes into a lot of different experimental styles pretty early on. You know, I think what happens in a brewer's career is really you, you start to brew the same things over and over again, like when you get into production and you just want to like step outside that box a little bit. And for me, that happened, you know, really early on. And that creative freedom, it's super exciting. And especially when you get to like shock people's palates and surprise them and you know, it's like, I still think that a lot of things that are familiar to me are just so strange to other people. It's kind of amazing to watch them experience new flavors and or techniques or something for the first time. Yeah, yeah man. Well, it's a lot of fun, you know, brewers got to have fun. I, th I think that's important, right? Just nine years in, like, you got to keep yourself energized and excited, you know, on the day to day. Yeah. yeah, variety is the spice of life. So we try to keep a full range of beers on top of the brewery for everyone, also for ourselves. If someone's tuning in and they don't really know much about Smog, I know most people probably do by this point, but there may be some that don't. Like, who are you guys? What is what is Smog City all about? Smog City was founded by my wife, Lori, and I in 2011. We started brewing out of a brew pub in Orange County called Tustin Brewing Company when I was the head brewer there. And we grew into our own facility that opened after four years at that brew pub. We opened this. That was uh, seven, eight years ago. Now, I mean, nine total, but... Anyway, so the first couple of years we self-distributed and brewed a few hundred barrels. And then last year we did in our own facility a 6,000 barrels. And um, we've been brewing and distributing a wide variety of beers and selling them from Santa Barbara to San Diego, but mostly in LA County. And we now have three retail locations. They're all still open. And we have a fourth one coming soon, hopefully kind of up in the air um, out in Glendora. If you were to sum up your brewing philosophy, like if someone was like, I want to know like what kind of brewery Smog City is. And I think you know, now that we're years into local craft beer and there's, you know, 100 or so breweries here in the LA area, there's breweries that kind of specialize in one thing and then kind of like put their flag in like, this is who we are. You know, if, is there an easy answer to that question for you? The thing about specializing for me is that it like comes and goes in waves. And 
I, I don't think there's a style we haven't brewed and we pride ourselves on having something on tap for everyone. I'm not saying we have all styles on tap all the time, but you know, we do have a robust barrel program. So we're making spirit barrel aged beers. We have a big sour program. So we're making all different ranges of barrel aged sour beers, and quick sour beers, and fruited sour beers. And then we've also, you know, we make a ton of IPAs and a lot of lager. So to say that we're the jack of all trades is kind of accurate and I think I think that comes with time and I think that comes with exploration and I think that we're pretty privileged in the fact that we can make almost make almost anything we want and people will drink it let's just say you know even the exotic styles or the stuff that doesn't sell really well you know mainstream um, we get still get to make it so we have this slogan it's creatively inspired and exceptionally balanced and I think that that kind of defines a lot of our brewing program. So we're we're trying to think outside the box and put our own spin on beer styles, regardless of what it is. But always our goal is that balance, that drinkability. And so I think that makes our range of styles that we make so approachable. That kind of rings true to me. Like I get a lot of people asking me for recommendations, a lot of out of towners and people visiting the area for the first time. And if I don't know exactly what they want, I tend to have smog in that list of recommendations because you can go there and no matter where your kind of your palate leans, there's something on the tap list you, usually that's gonna hit. If you're into sour beer, if you're into barrel aged stouts or pilsners or experimental different adjunct sours that you guys do, your your wood aged stuff is really cool. So yeah, the versatility I think makes makes you guys stand uh, out. In my kind of all over the place, right? <laughs> <laughs> in a good way. But yeah, but in a good way because, you know, it's something that we, like I said, like we love the variety ourselves and it makes it more fun. Well, you know, for this episode, we're going to dive into one specific beer. And while in, in my cellar and in my fridge, I have a bunch of different Smog City beers that, you know, we could pull from Bourbon OE and some of the barrel aged sour stuff. We're going to go with something a little bit different. Amarillo Gorilla. IPA. Tell me about this beer at a high level. Like, what is this beer? It's just a pretty classical West Coast IPA. It's a little more old school than our flagship using Amarillo hops as the uh, primary. But our goal here is to really just make a big, beautiful, rounded, kind of juicy. Yeah, I know that takes on a totally different meaning these days, but juicy, hoppy IPA that's just super drinkable. We've been making this beer since the beginning. And actually, when we first launched Smog into distribution, we had both Hop Tonic and Gorilla um, as draft options. And we ultimately decided to pull Gorilla from year round because the two were kind of competing with each other. But ever since I think 2013, we have released Gorilla as a seasonal, sometimes it's a little spastic. It'll come out in November. Sometimes it comes out in January sometimes. Um, but now we have a specific, well, last year we had a specific sort of time frame for it, which was uh, June through August, I think. Four months, June, July, August, maybe three months. And then this year, this was, um, wasn't planned to be, but it became our first beer uh, to be put in cans ever with the commissioning of our new canning line. We just, you know, we, we make a lot of it and it sells like crazy. And we were like, well, this is obviously a, a good candidate to be putting in. I mean, the name I'm sure gets you guys recognition from breweries all over the country that think of this as their bright idea and look it up and see that you guys have been brewing this yeah. for since 2013. <laughs> yeah, so when we, what's really funny about that is that we actually, early on when there was like the uh, intellectual property wars that people were going after each other for names, we started trademarking things because we thought, hey, we got some really good names here. We want to make sure they're protected. So we went to trademark this one and the trademark office said you cannot trademark the Spanish word for yellow. Hmm. 
And I was like, no, 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 no. It's not the Spanish word for yellow. It's a play on, and I had to explain to them that it's actually a play on the Amarillo hop. And that, you know, Amarilla is not a word. Right. It's something that we made up to rhyme with gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> and they ultimately accepted the application. So yeah, so there we have it. Brew pub. Take me back to like when you first brewed it. How has it changed over time? What is this beer all about? Like from the evolution standpoint? This beer was always meant to be a big, fruity punch in the mouth not a ton of bitterness like it says juicy tropical hop bomb it's not as new school like punch you in the face with intensity but like really well-rounded beer and so like we were brewing it like up to about eight percent abv and this year we actually lowered the alcohol content to seven four just to make it a little less intoxicating <laughs> <laughs> One thing a lot of people don't know is that this this beer is actually made with about 15% rye. Technically it's a rye IPA, but that's not really a style people talk about. And I don't think we ever talked about it as a rye IPA, but it got its name because it has this sort of like well-rounded mid-palate mouthfeel. And that comes from the rye. And what's so cool about that is it's almost like it molds right into the hop character, which is also like round and wide as opposed to like sharp and strong or citrusy or piney like it has a lot of those notes but really what we're going after is like a round fruity character in this beer yeah interesting and so i think the biggest change is that when we started selecting hops a few years ago we finally were buying enough where the hop suppliers would let us come up pick from specific lots i think that this beer got a lot better because of the amarillo we were able to select and then uh, when we were up there this past fall I have to say that the Amarillo that we selected is the best that I have been able to scratch and sniff in years. Like, wow. it's finally back to its like beautiful glory of like 2008, 2009. Like, those were the best Amarillo hops. And I just felt like they're trying to get more oils in the hops and they're trying to like make all of these hops like more intense. And I feel like Amarillo kind of suffered for a while. But the lots that we got this year were like super full of stone fruit and this beautiful citrus character and just really like well-rounded and back to where I wanted. So we dry hopped all of these batches exclusively with the 2019 Amarillo. And I think that it um, it really pays off uh, in the character of the beer. So I think one thing that stands out from a presentation perspective is the artwork on this. It's just yeah. so super cool. Like how badass is that gorilla? Like, yeah, <laughs> it stands out. This is really cool. And who does the artwork for you guys? Is it someone in house? So this is a friend of ours named Ryan Cochran. He is a designer and he's worked on all of our core beer labels. So pills, squirrel, coffee, IPA. And this is actually, this is one of the oldest ones, right? So I said coffee and squirrel. And then I think this might've been the third label he designed for us. This is another label that is character driven. And, you know, for the look of this, we wanted something like, it was kind of inspired a little bit by the steampunk look, right? Oh yeah. You've got this like war-torn gorilla, but he's like half bionicle and he's got this like armor and this crazy eye that's strapped onto him and this glass eye that's strapped onto him. <laughs> and he's looking at you, right? And you have to engage with him and he's dropping and he's got these like weird little like antique looking planes that are dropping hot bombs. And so, yeah, it's just a lot of fun and it's just a cool character. and something else to, to look at, kind of entertain you while you drink this beer, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, and it's, it's great to see this in a can in a more kind of portable and versatile format. Really? And the canning line couldn't have come at a better time for you guys, right? Yeah, initially we were kind of freaking out because we were like, oh God, we just spent all this money on a canning line. Where, <laughs> where are these cans gonna go? How are we gonna pay for it? You know, under quarantine, we've been doing a lot of to-go sales and we've launched um, delivery 
and we also have uh, shipping within California now. So yeah, it's, it's really helped. It gets people really excited to see some of their old favorites now in cans, but also we have a lot of new beers coming out in cans. We just launched a year-round wit beer called From LA Wit Love, which has been draft only since uh, last fall. That one should be awesome for the summer because it's only like 4.8%, super drinkable. But yeah, I mean, it's, Canning allows us to be a little more versatile. We don't have to buy six pack carriers. So kind of like once we get a label, we can put anything we want on cans, which I think is why everybody else loves cans too. That and the canning lines are, are way more affordable than they used to be, so. You said that you moved up the production of this beer to be the first run of your canning line. What was the reasoning behind that? Well, basically because our first beer in cans was gonna be our anniversary beer. Mm -hmm. And once we got the lockdown orders in March, it was like, well, I guess we're canceling our anniversary party. So it didn't really feel right to make a special beer for our anniversary. Although we're celebrating being in business, it doesn't feel like a time for celebration right now. We're, we're trying to walk that line between, yay, let's have a party, everything's great. And like, hey, reality is like things are hard right now and they're hard for a lot of people. They're, they're pretty tough at our business. And so because we were planning on dis distributing Gorilla and cans anyway, so well, hey, well, let's just go to that one and that'll be our first can release. And again, it's a big fan favorite, man. So people come to the brewery, drink IPAs all day long, but they are always asking like, when is Gorilla coming back? When is Gorilla coming back? And when it comes on, that's all they drink, which is crazy. People just love this beer so much. I mean, I understand why it's a great beer, but it's just so surprising how much of a following it actually has. You've got me excited. I think we should open one up and check it out. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Let's do it, man. Surprised you still have one. You must have had to like squirrel it away and like hide it. <laughs> I'm very patient. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's it. Awesome. Love uh, it. I think if I was to describe like what is the ideal appearance of an IPA that you're about to drink. Like, I don't think you could get much better than this. Like, just in terms of the spectrum of, of yellow gold, it's just kind of right on there. Yeah. You know, I go back and forth. Sometimes you see IPAs made with like Pilsner malts or like no caramel at all. And you're, you're like, oh, this is super light, super light. And sometimes that's what I want, something super dry and crisp. But I think most of the time, the hop characters are so bold that you need that little bit of sweetness. And I know that one of the reasons the, the shift to like away from caramel is a shelf stability because the uh, components in the caramel malts actually oxidize a little bit faster. Hmm. So putting your beer in cans and selling it out wider distribution, you're gonna get a better long-term experience with less caramel malts. But I think you need that sweetness to balance the, the little bit of bitterness. And it really helps with the mouthfeel for me. Yeah, it's a great looking beer. Nice head retention, the carbonations just, it looks right on point. From a aroma perspective, when you're diving into this, what are you hoping to achieve? Well, what I really look for in the Amarillo, which are uh, from the Amarillo, which can be kind of fleeting sometimes, is stone fruit character. Mm -hmm. Anything related to like apricot, peach, those all those weird hybrids. I find it to be kind of fleeting. Sometimes you get it right out of the bright tank. Sometimes it's got to be in the keg for a couple of days. I'm usually drinking this beer on draft. So this is actually a new experience. I haven't had Gorilla from a can that was canned, you know, a week ago. So like I, I'm expecting it to be different, but I, I really don't know. This is, right. This, this is new for me too. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I mean, big citrus, like just 
really like juicy orange on the nose for me. Yeah, tangerine. Little grassiness to it too, like fresh cut, like dewy morning grass. I really like that too. Where there's still a bunch of Simcoe in this beer too, always has been. So I'm still getting like a little bit of that tropical character that we find. It's not as strong as like our, uh, our flagship IPA, but there's definitely some lingering there. Yeah, I don't know. I like the citrus and I feel like it's pretty well-rounded. I don't know, It's it, it's got a lot of just like fruit. Mm -hmm. it's, it's light fruit, not dark fruit. It's it's hard to put a, a, a name to it. It's really well-rounded and it's really bright too. Like it's just, as you're pouring, it, it was kind of like filling the air around my face. It was just, it smells yeah. so good. And I mean, in terms of seasonality and when you're brewing this, like I think April, May, like this time of year is like perfect time for a beer like this. Yeah, absolutely. Let's give it a taste. Do it. Cheers. <laughs> Damn. So you have like, it's kind of fat on your palate, like mid swallow, like right before you swallow, or like after you swallow, it kind of rolls around your tongue. Mm -hmm. uh, that I think is from the beta glucans in the rye. I want this beer to be meaty. I want it to be like the burly gorilla on the label, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think that the rye does that. And I think that's part of the inspiration for the art too, like, or the name really. I mean, it's a beast of a beer because it's got those components. It's got that little bit of sweetness. It's got the rye. The oils are very like mouth coating, which I think contributes to the mouthfeel. And, but then, you know, it, it doesn't finish too bitter. doesn't finish too dry. It's just got just enough sweetness, but then it's balanced to keep it, you know, nice and drinkable. It's just, yeah, not too sweet, not too dry. It's really right there. And yeah, full flavored. Like this is not something that you're just going to chug and down really quickly. Like this is something that you're really going to like enjoy going down, but yeah. not in a way that's going to make you work. It's just, this is, it, it is what it is. This is a bold, flavorful, but balanced beer. What do you think the drop down in ABV, did that do anything to the flavor profile at all, do you think? Well, we had to be really careful about how dry it finishes out because it definitely can affect the mouthfeel. But even ethanol itself, contributes texture to a beer. And so we did adjust our mash temperature a little bit to make sure that it didn't dry out. I mean, we had to be very careful about um, hop creep so that the beer didn't get too low in gravity when it finished. So there was some small process adjustments, but overall, I think it's kind of the same. I mean, it wasn't that big of an adjustment, but you know, at 7.8% on the label, within 0.2, you could be from 7.6 to 8% ABV. And it's just, it just can just be such a massive beer. And there was really no reason for that. And so my goal was to keep the same character with just a little bit less alcohol content. And it didn't take much to change. Yeah, it's great. I'm really enjoying this. I'm glad that I held on to these cans. Yeah. <laughs> I was like so tempted, like I could just open one of these and save one for this interview. And I, I kept both of them. And uh, I'm because I, I wanted this like first impression, and I'm I'm really oh, awesome. enjoying it. Even though it's you know 9:30 in the morning, like this is like, it feels like Wait. the perfect time to drink this beer. What time is it? Does time even matter anymore? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> this is a seasonal release for you guys, but has been around since the beginning. And you mentioned earlier Hop Tonic, which I believe is now Smog City IPA, right? Correct. Yeah. So where does this beer fit in alongside? that beer and kind of along the broader like spectrum of your beer portfolio. I know we talked about you guys do everything, but like any thoughts on kind of where this fits? The Smog City IPA is a little bit drier and it has a little more new school hops. It's a, it's a Citrus Simcoe forward beer. Hmm. So it kind of bridges the gap between like new school and old school, you know, like old school beating mean like CTZ, 
Chinook, Cascade, like grapefruity, piney, whatever. So it has some of that, but it also has a lot of the new school hops. And this one is more about the fruitiness, less about piney, less about bitter. They're both West Coast IPAs, but they're different, uh, different enough from each other. Um, that we're actually considering keeping Gorilla year round. And it's it's doing really well in cans out in the market. So we're kind of just wait, wait, kind of doing a wait and see. But there's really no harm in having more than one IPA on tap all the time. You know, I've been to places where there's like six or seven IPAs on all the time and they, <laughs> they might rotate, but two or three are always around. So yeah, I mean, as long as we have tank space, we'll brew both. Right now we have plenty of tank space because draft sales obviously have totally disappeared. I think that's it's going to fit in as a year round, but we're, we're not totally sure yet, but but it'll definitely be here through the summer because like you said, the weather gets warm, bright sunny days, like it's an easy drinking beer. I know it's seven and a half percent, but still, if you've got the time and you want to hang out and chill with a super balanced fruity IPA, like this is one of the ones you can go to. I think IPA is interesting. It's in an interesting moment right now since like the hazy, juicy thing kind of came in and and kind of establish like another side of the spectrum. Whereas before we were like, okay, it's IPA like West Coast, IPA American, and then English. Now there's like all this other stuff. And you know, the English American stuff has kind of gone into obscurity a little bit. And now yeah. we're really just looking at, is it hazy? Is it West Coast? And when you have very kind of pop forward in terms of like bitterness and this this west coast style like having that you know on your on your beer board or on your menu or whatever and it's just west coast ipa west coast ipa like it just it gets difficult to educate and differentiate between like two beers that are wildly different like you know the smog city ipa and this beer yeah. but you would probably consider both of them as west coast ipas right yeah yeah pretty much i think uh i think you know the ipas basically is all about the expression of the hop and there's a huge range of hop character. I mean, like, you know, nobody's making IPAs with like noble hops, but they are making hoppy pilsners, which are basically pale ales uh -huh. with no caramel character. And there are, and people are using, you know, noble hops. So like, it, it's what's in a name, but also as an expression of the hop, you can have so many different, you can make a lot of West Coast IPAs. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think because the hop, the range of hop flavors and aromas that are available as a sort of ingredient for the brewer um, is pretty vast. And so I think that you can do it and I think it's okay. And I think as long as you're talking, it's just like everything else. Like, you know, if we have 30 beers on tap and they're all like crazy different from like barrel aged, sour, whatever. As long as you're able to talk to the, the customer about what it is, the difference between these beers, you know what I mean? Like imagine somebody showed up from like the fifties at one of our breweries and they'd be like, <laughs> All they know is like lager, lager, different lager, right? Whatever, right. or whatever's available in their backyard. Think about the amount of information that you would have to pass to that person to get them to understand what, what all of those beers are before they even get to taste them. And I think as long as you're able to do that, you can make a lot of different IPAs. Call them, yeah. call them. No, I, I encourage it. I'm all about it. I just, an IPA from a stylistic label is just so tough these days because West Coast IPA can mean, and hazy IPA, can mean so many different things that like it's not enough and i'm not beating that drum from like a nostalgia or tradition perspective because i don't care about that i'm more of like consumer wise like how do i let the consumer know how to choose what they want what their palate gravitates toward towards in a way that's like concise and easy like an easy label 
And I just feel like we're in an era right now where it's like really difficult to do that. And I don't know what the what the solution is. I don't think there is one other than just keep making beer. Yeah, and I think, you know, the one of the things about the craft, craft beer sort of resurgence in this country has been about educating the consumer. And I think that with the success of craft beers come a lot of like bastardization of styles, which is fine, but you know what? Styles are there to give people a guidepost, right? So like if this says it's brown ale, there should be some certain expectation of what that beer is going to taste like so that a person who has had experience with it can make a decision on whether they're gonna like it, right? Yeah. When you take IPA and you make it black or you make it white or you make it hazy or you call it juicy or it's West Coast or it's New England or it's fruited or it's sour, like now you've taken that guidepost and you just shredded it. Yeah. So is there a solution to that? Probably not. That's where education comes in. And I think that as, a, as an industry, the first sort of like early 2000s, we did a really good job as an industry, as, as wholesalers, as retailers, um, as brewers and educating the customer on what craft beer is. And, you know, we, we, we shook our hands at the big brewers and don't drink that macro crap, drink craft beer, right? But in the last like five or seven years, we've done, I think, I think now that craft has gone mainstream, we haven't done as good a job at educating people on what good craft beer is because there is a difference. You know, a good craft lager versus one that's flawed. And, and I think that, that there is a little more progress being made, but it's not enough and we still have a lot of work to do. And that's one of the things that we pride ourselves in our tap rooms is training our staff to teach people to understand the differences between our beer and other craft beer, and whether it's good or bad, because we are different and the beers that we make are different. When someone comes in and says, oh, this IPA doesn't have that like buttery character. And we're like, yeah, it's not <laughs> supposed to have that. <laughs> you know, because, you know, fermentation flaws, I think are the, the number one thing that craft breweries struggle with. And it's the number one thing that we fight against and to ensure that our beers don't have. And that takes education to, you know, to get the consumer to understand what, you know, good craft beer or non-flawed craft beer is. So I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Unfortunately, it's all on pause right now because we're all sort of like hiding in our little holes. Right. Uh, hoping this is all going to go away. I know I am. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I know you guys were kind of like, off. you guys were early to the education and that being a philosophy of, your kind of consumer facing communications. Like I just remember like hearing Lori on panels at LA Beer Week talking about stuff and just education was was a big thing there. And since this quarantine happened, you guys do like a weekly Zoom and I'm not I haven't joined one yet, but is that oh. education based? Is there education component to that or is that just more like light and having fun kind of break? Well, sometimes it, uh, it, it veers off course, but yeah, so it's meant to be like, so we call it Zoom happy hour. Um, we do every Thursday night at 6 p.m. You can, you can uh, actually uh, pop on tonight. I think the information is on our Facebook or Instagram, but it's, uh, yeah, it's free to come join. Uh, we do tasting of a beer where we kind of break it down. We tell the story a little less in depth than, you know, something like what we're doing here. Um, we try not to be too like, you know, uh, beer dorky, but you know, I kind of can't help that. So we break down a beer, but it's meant to be really like, you know, we miss the taproom experience. We miss seeing our customers that are also our friends. And so this is an opportunity to basically like hang out with us 
and have a beer and chat. And we talk about beer because, of course, I have to talk about beer because it's what I do and it's what I love to do. <laughs> um, but we also talk about other things. We veer off schedule or, or, sorry, off course a lot. Sometimes we talk about what's going on with the pandemic, how it's affecting our business. We also talk about, we're talking about a specific kind of beer. We talk about other beers that are in that style that, that other breweries make. So, yeah, it's kind of a range of things. And then this week is a special anniversary edition, which is really cool. Um, we're going to talk about Kumquat Saison uh, a little bit. We're going to have the director of Food Forward is going to be on. They're the uh, nonprofit that we partner with that we get the Kumquats from. Um, and then we're also going to have our beer tender, Jen, who is our cocktail sort of in-house cocktail extraordinaire who has bottled these cocktail mixes uh, oh, for wow. our anniversary that you can order as part of a as part of our anniversary kit and make your own spicy kumquat saison margaritas which are freaking awesome so that we're gonna be good. making yeah we're gonna be making margaritas tonight with the beer on the zoom call so i don't know i mean we're just trying to have fun we're trying to connect with people like you know like we used to and give give everybody a sense of normalcy including ourselves yeah no that's i love that and you guys were kind of on the earlier side from what i saw in terms of breweries doing that and now we're seeing breweries like hey, we miss our community, let's do something virtual. And so I love that type of stuff. And, and the, my last thing on the education, I almost forgot. I, I talk about this to people all the time, is your, whenever you guys do like a special bottle release, you do a video on IGTV that like oh, yeah. <laughs> introduces the beer and talks about, and I'm just like, every brewery needs to be doing this. I mean, I know not every brewer, is as good on camera as you are. Like you do a great job with those. Oh, like, you're you're like an example that I talk oh, about all the time. It's, it's got to be the editing because it's I'm definitely not. Gonna <laughs> <like it. laughs> yeah, you pull it off well. It's it's a it's a pretty cool series. Uh, you guys started doing that like within the last year, and I, I think it's an uh -huh. excellent addition to like the special releases. Yeah. So I talked to Evan Price at Green Cheek after we first started doing them, and he said you absolutely need to keep doing those. And I was like, oh yeah, why? Like I think they're. I mean, what they're whatever, like, do people even care? And he said, no, it's because it's a brewer or it's an artisan, a craftsman, regardless of what you are, talking about your craft and you can tell how passionate you are about it. And I think that that's really important for people to see. And I was like, yeah, you're kind of right. I think that it's important for people to understand why we do what we do in this day and age. I have, I could go on like lots of long diatribes about like commercialism and consumerism and stuff like that. But I think that, you know, when you can know your, know the person who is making the beer and understand why they do it, you can, you have a stronger connection to it and a stronger appreciation. And for me, that is like an enrichment to enjoyment of the product. Like knowing your baker, knowing the cheesemaker, or or, or, or or the people that work at those places where you buy those kinds of products. I think it's super cool. And so that was our way of sort of connecting with an audience, whoever watches, I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, it's super awkward to film. We're changing the format a little bit, but we're gonna, definitely gonna keep doing it. I just yeah. did one on Kumquat too. I yeah, I saw that. In my opinion, that's the magic of what makes this whole industry and this whole community so special is exactly what you just described. And it's a big part of what drives me and like what we're doing at Hopped LA to try and get like, not just what it is, but why it's happening and the story behind things. It's the reason why we're doing this today. So uh, keep it up. I yeah. definitely appreciate it. And you know, I'm behind awesome. the scenes like 
telling people like, hey, you see what, what Porter at Smog City is doing with his special releases? Like, you guys should be doing stuff like this. Like, this is really cool stuff. And yeah. like you said, it's the magic of the artisan doing it. Like the marketing manager doing it. Like, I mean, sure it's fine, but like, it doesn't have that that quality that you were talking about, you know? I think people, people want a connection, right? I mean, there's so much thrown at us on a daily basis. It's just like, buy this, buy this, buy this. And you're like, I'm like, yeah, I want you to buy it. But like, I want you to understand why it's, it's, it has value, yeah. right? Like, not just cause it tastes good, not just cause whatever, but like, cause we make it. And this is why we make it. And this, we're super passionate about what we do. Always have been, always will be. And I just try to tell people a little bit about that. So yeah, I, you know, I love we try it. To keep it simple. We always, there's always marketing thrown in there, uh, but <laughs> Yeah, Cause it's a business, you know, we gotta, gotta keep it rolling. But, um, but yeah, it's fun. And that's yeah. why I do, that's why I do stuff like this, man. It's super fun. I, I, you know what, if anybody will, won't listen to me talk about beer, I'm happy to talk about beer. Speaking right. of sales and, and business this yeah. year, where can pe if people want this, where can they get it? Do you still have, is it still available? Oh yes, absolutely. We have been sending copious quantities out to distribution. So you should see it in uh, Trader Joe's pretty soon. Total Wine, BevMo, Whole Foods, retail stores, your local bottle shop, can shop. I don't know, I guess it's a can shop now. And then of course you can get it at any of our tap rooms, Long Beach, both of the ones in Torrance. Um, we're also doing, we just did, ex we're doing expanded delivery now. We have like four different zones in LA. So you can order from us online and we'll deliver it to you. Um, if you live somewhere else in California, I mentioned we've got statewide overnight shipping. It's pretty reasonable. So there's a lot of ways to get this beer. Support, support your retailers, support your local brewery. And we're making a lot and canning a lot of this beer. It's, uh, it's been a very short and steep learning curve. I'll get this canning line rolling because <laughs> we're doing like 13,000 can can runs. We've done it three times already. So it, we had to learn how to make that thing work real fast. Yeah. <laughs> well, the yeah, beer's tasting great. So if anybody wants to get their hands on this, you heard the story behind it. Now yeah. get some cans and drink it. Porter, take it easy, man. Thank awesome. you so much for joining me. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you.